Welcome to this edition of the Next Level Esports Podcast. In this new year, I'm super thrilled to have me on the episode, Kent Wakeford, CEO of KSV Esports. Kent, thanks for joining. Well, thanks for having me, Manny. I'm a big fan of the Next Level. I read it on a regular basis. Oh, thank you so much. And the check will be in the mail for that wonderful compliment. <laughs> So let's jump right into it. Uh, what do you see as a crucial link between Korea and Silicon Valley? And what are you trying to bridge between the two? Yeah, so so when you think about KSV, the name stands for Korea plus Silicon Valley. Um, let me first start with Korea and, and most, most specifically with South Korea. So South Korea is often referred to as kind of the birthplace of esports. Gaming has been deeply embedded in the culture in a way that you that you don't necessarily see in the U.S. And yeah. esports has been embraced early on, with, you know, in the days of StarCraft, where, where teams and players became famous within South Korea. And this popularity kind of fueled an ecosystem of, uh, of teams and games and kind of all the infrastructure for esports. And the results was, were, were numerous. One, a robust ecosystem, uh, that was far more advanced than what you've seen in the West. And two, and most important for us, is incredible players. Players that you know, were some of the, the first to jump into competitive gaming. They practiced against each other. They honed their skills. And in many, many esports, they have become the very best in the world. Yeah. So that's kind of one, one half of the equation. Then let's let's go to the other half, which is Silicon Valley. One of the things that we noticed uh, about the South Korea esports kind of scene and infrastructure is that it was insular. You had the world's greatest players, great teams, but they weren't necessarily breaking out of their geography. Correct. So our approach was to 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 go dive into the market and bring the world's best esports athletes to a global stage. And in doing so, we're leveraging our, our networks in Silicon Valley, our know-how, the technology that we've done in the past, our ability to drive marketing and social marketing, and really kind of tap into a global fan base for these audience. And we're already starting to see this payoff. We've, we've seen a number of amazing sponsors come into the team, we now have streaming partnerships on a global basis. Uh, we have an engaged social media following in the West. And there's many more things that we're going to be rolling out in the next couple months. Um, but it was really kind of dive into this birthplace, this mecca of esports, and bring it to a global stage. And that was our mission. And that's what we've been uh, accomplishing kind of every day. Yeah, and you really, in terms of the start of that mission, you really you know made some grand uh, grand improvements, and we've seen those results as you pointed out. So you've invested heavily in Korean-based team, whether it's Seoul Dynasty acquiring League of Legends team Samsung Galaxy, or even MVP Black for Heroes of the Storm. So there seems to be a clear trend. So we continue to stay on this focus of only local talent as KSV expands into other games. Well, the esports is global. Uh, and we have planted our flag in Korea and our headquarters are, are in Korea. And we have a great team uh, of kind of the corporate infrastructure around all, all the teams and coaching staff uh, is in Korea. But that's not, that's not the, the kind of the final end for us. Um, we recently announced 
that we are opening an office in in China, and we did. Uh, we opened an office in Shanghai, and we've Congrats. been putting streaming partnerships together in China so we could tap, you know, create a fan base for our teams in Korea. We've been putting marketing partnerships uh, in place. Uh, we're, we're, we have staff to help us with live events in China and social media. And you'll see us do a lot more and make a lot more announcements as it relates to China in the, um, you know, in the coming months. Um, so that's, that's kind of a, a new frontier for us. And I don't want to, I don't want to rule out anywhere else. Um, Seoul and South Korea will be our headquarters and kind of our, our hub. But as I mentioned, esports is global and we want to make sure that we are tr- creating a truly global company. Absolutely. Now let's stick with China for a second. That's a really interesting move. What are some of the main differences between operating in Silicon Valley and South Korea versus operating in China? You know, obviously we know some of the, the government regulations, but the market is just absolutely enormous. Um, what is, what's been your experience so far and what's been the biggest difference? Well, we, I talked a little bit about the players so far, and I think that the, from a from a player perspective, um, there's there's amazing talent in in Korea uh, as well as in China, uh, but there are other advancements that have taken place in the West um, in a, in a couple categories, more on the business side, from a advertising perspective and a sponsorship perspective. Bigger brands and bigger ad dollars are coming into the U.S. Uh, and to the teams in the U.S. Uh, and that's there's a number of reasons for this, but from a kind of the ability to monetize and, and create revenue streams for an esports team is much stronger in Western markets than it is in um, than it historically has been in Korea. So that's an area of focus for us as well. Um, to be able to kind of create those partnerships, bring in those sponsors and bring in those brands. Yep, absolutely. Now, sticking with your executive team and actually the the financing of KSV Esports, you know, this was primarily done through through you guys, the, t- the top three on the executive team versus going out and seeking funding. Can you compete with the billionaire sports team owners as we've seen enter the space in the U.S.? And why did you choose to go this route? We can absolutely compete against the the billionaire sports team owners, um, <laughs> as we've seen so far yeah, in Overwatch um, I think that it's, I think you know we're entering into a new era of esports, and it's it's a combination of a lot of new entrants into esports that are are going to create this new wave uh, in the in the industry, and you have it. On the leagues, like what Overwatch League has done, and we'll talk probably a little bit about that in a minute. But on the team side, Absolutely. you have a number of, of kind of new entrants. And you, we have the traditional sports team owners that are bringing a lot to the table for esports. They have infrastructure for sponsorship and marketing and merchandise. And I think most important, they know how to put on great live events in their home arenas. And I think we'll start to see a lot of innovation around that area. Then there's another group of team owners, uh, and I would, I would put KSV in that group. There's others like Cloud9 that are really innovating in terms of um, the business of esports, in terms of uh, driving uh, new technology, new trends, driving innovation in terms of uh, social content and marketing, uh, correct 
connecting directly with fan bases, using data, uh, bridging geographic divides like what we've done at KSV. So I think that you're, you're going to see uh, multiple dimensions of innovation in esports and the, the billionaire owners of the traditional sports team, if you want to categorize them that way, are bringing a lot to the table uh, and not just capital. And then the other ownership groups, KSB, Cloud9, and others, are bringing a different level of innovation. And I think that it's all this competition uh, and, and innovation is going to really take esports, as I said, to the next level. Yeah, absolutely. And from that perspective, you also can see the traditional sports teams outside, as you mentioned, not bringing just in capital, but their intelligence and their experience of driving merchandising, marketing, advertising sponsors into esports that we may not have seen before. So I think that'll be a welcome addition. So let's talk about Overwatch League for a little bit and a little bit about LCK. What's the difference from a business perspective between operating an Overwatch League and what you're doing with LCK League of Legends in Korea? We're big fans of of both companies and both leagues, and and we are excited to be playing in both. I would would say that the biggest difference and the one that stands out to me um, the most is the fact that the Overwatch League is a truly global league where you have Los Angeles playing New York and New York playing London and London playing Seoul and Seoul playing Shanghai. It's truly global and it creates a a different and interesting dynamic um, and allows the team owners to really cultivate a local fan base. And, and for us, you know, in the Overwatch League, we have Seoul, which is, is one of the most dynamic and remarkable markets in the world and we have the ability to really pull together the fans, build a brand in that market, uh, and invest uh, a lot of capital to, to kind of build something for the long term. And I think that that's, that's one, one aspect, one key difference with the Overwatch League that, that makes us really excited. Absolutely. Do you see Korea getting a second team, maybe in Seoul as Overwatch League expands? Uh, I think it's. I think it's possible. Um, the 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 world is a very big place, and there's many areas where they are, um, where you can you know, bring in teams. Um, whether that's Europe, which I think uh, currently is underrepresented, which is with just London, uh, areas throughout Asia. Correct. So I think that there's other areas in the in the across the globe where you can um, create teams. And I think it would be really exciting um, uh, before you go and, and bring in, a, you know, second teams in, in Korea. Yeah, absolutely. It would be interesting. I think uh, some of the rumors or what I've heard is that by season three, um, you're supposed to have a local arena set up. So if Seoul does get, you know, another team, say season two, season three, you know, it'd be interesting if they could play in, in a home stadium and switch off, kind of like you see at MetLife with the Giants and Jets, as you sort of expand continue towards the traditional sports manner. Um, so Seoul Dynasty finished, you know, one of the, at the top in terms of the first leg of Overwatch League. What are your thoughts on the performance? Well, uh, very happy and proud of the team. They finished with a seven and three record, which is, you know, very impressive. Uh, there was a ton of hype on Seoul Dynasty coming into the league. Every article was, you know, these guys are going to win every mm-hmm. game. And, 
you know, what a lot of people don't realize is that you know, the first leg was still a, a time for the coaches to test out strategy, to test out players, to figure out who's going to kind of be playing what roles. Uh, and they did. And, um, and we are fully supportive of our coaching staff. Uh, and they're, they've been really trying to figure out how, to, how do you create a sustainable uh, routine for the, and strategy for the team. So we've been super excited by that. Um, you know, the last couple of losses, uh, our team takes really personally. These these guys are winners, and they're in it to win every game. And they and they put everything out there. And when they don't win, they they you know they take it really seriously. So I think the players <laughs> took it much more uh, harshly than we did when they when they lost a couple of games. But I do have to say, like. You know, it, it's interesting in, in the preseason, you know, the, the meta was a dive meta and it was a strength of Soul Dynasty and, and the team just cleaned up. And then the meta shifted uh, so that it was, you know, much more about Junkrat and Mercy. And that played much more to the strength of New York than to Soul. And now that we're coming out of the first leg and the meta is going to change again, we are, we're excited. Uh, we're excited. I think that, that the change will create a whole new dynamic within, uh, within the, the league. And, you know, we're, we're confident in our team to continue to be successful. Sure. I'm sure you're happy with the uh, Mercy sure. Nerf. I'm sure you're happy with the uh, <laughs> yes. Mercy Nerf. So you've completed several brand deals. So you've completed several brand deals to date. Then I believe the partnership with Moray Asset Venture Investment is the most interesting. How did this come about and what are the pros yeah, getting really from Moray's sponsorship? So our stated vision from the very beginning is to treat our, our players like professional athletes and to provide them everything they need to be successful, whether that's a great coaching staff, great equipment, we have a nutritionist, we have trainers, really thinking about them as as professional athletes and giving them everything that they need to win. And one of the aspects that, that stood out to us is uh, finances. We, we thought that it was important for all of the, the, the players to kind of understand uh, their finances and to have at their fingertips one of the best financial institutions in Korea to help them, you know, one, be educated and two, to kind of understand and, and create their financial strategies so they're not thinking about this while they're training or while they're playing. They have a plan in place. They put, put it in the hands of, of, you know, one of the leading institutions in Korea and then, you know, focus their time, their effort, their, their mental energy into being the best Overwatch player they can. Yeah, I think what you're providing for the pros, you know, everything from the nutritional elements to the training, I think it's really important to look at their financial future and investment as uh, something exclusive that you've done to the team. And I think that's fantastic. Let's talk about your history before KSV really quickly. Uh, prior to KSV, you were the CEO of Kabam, a very large mobile gaming developer that made titles like The Hobbit and Marvel Champions. When well, do you I think believe we'll truly see mobile at Kabam, we made mobile games that that reached hundreds of millions of consumers around the world. And we focused on mobile games because 
everybody has a phone in their pocket. Everybody has access and it is billions and yeah. billions of people uh, that have access uh, to kind of mobile devices. And we were excited uh, about the opportunity to get into kind of mobile esports. Uh, it hasn't quite quack, cracked through yet, but we believe that it will, and we believe that it will soon. You're starting to see some success, whether it's Hearthstone, which is a great game. Clash Royale is, is, is doing really well. Um, and of course, there's Arena of, of Valor in China, which is just this massive, massive success in China, but hasn't quite broken through. So you're starting to see these these games starting to get traction, uh, create a real great audience, tap into kind of that that kind of that that mobile esports experience. Um, so you know, our view is that it's going to happen. Uh, it could happen in 2018, uh, but I would predict that we'll definitely see kind of a, a breakthrough through game by the end of next year. Yeah, I can't uh, I can't agree with you more. And I would almost say that, you know, when you talked about Arena Valor that just came over here to the West, which is Honor of Kings in China, you know, you look at how much, how many people play that game on a daily basis. I believe it's actually the population of South Korea is equivalent to how many daily active users you have. That game is absolutely monstrous. And I believe there there's one or two theme parks going to be built around it, a coming TV show or a movie, but that show, I mean, that game is absolutely uh, monstrous. So sticking with kind of social gaming, mobile gaming, during my time at Zynga, it was one of the big social gaming companies on the Facebook platform, you know, we, I really saw the importance of data. We were really a data company masking as a gaming company. So you've seen the importance of data at your time at Kabam and previous. How important is I data, data in esports and what are you doing um, for capture and analysis? From your experience at Zynga, from our experience at Kabam, data is kind of a key to growth in all aspects of the business. And as we think about esports, I think we're just in kind of the, the first inning of really using data effectively. And I see data to be used in multiple different areas mm -hmm. uh, within esports. So kind of going back to mobile games, we use data in all aspects, whether it was analyzing what was happening in game, in the economy, whether it was using data to look at, at marketing or retention. There's similar analogies within esports, right? There's, there's recruiting players. There's data around kind of what are kind of the up and coming players doing what's the data that's really important to look at it's not just you know, kind of number of kills but it's how they support their other teams and kind of what they do in different situations so really being able to unpack data and use data effectively for player recruitment is is crucial then there's you know once you kind of have your team and your players there's using data to improve gameplay and i think that this is going to be a, an area of a lot of growth we're starting to see a number of products come to market. Um, I, you know, this is kind of a new area that that teams will have to figure out. Not only, you know, how do I implement the data, but how do I use the data effectively uh, so that it's it helps each player get better, as opposed to just being more time and and something we have to look at. So, uh, I think that's a kind of a key area. And then the last is on the on the marketing social video 
you know, connecting the fans and the players is is one of the key aspects of you know running a great esports team, and data is critical for that. Whether it's you know understanding similar to what we did in in the days of mobile gaming from a marketing perspective, or whether it's understanding uh, your social following and you know who who are the players, who are you connecting to, how are you engaging them. I think that one is is a little bit more um, kind of proven model, and that's that's an area that we're definitely leaning into right now from a data perspective. Absolutely, and and I think you know you use the term first inning, and I would definitely agree with you on that. And that maybe takes it back to a money ball analogy, and I think you're going to start seeing that come over into esports very soon. So finally, <laughs> let's end it with a question. Well, from Twitter. I, I used to play Lucio. What's, um, who do you play in Overwatch? And, but I was not that great, and as soon as I started kind of playing around the team, I, I got pretty darn embarrassed and, and <laughs> had to switch players. Um, you know, it is very humbling to play uh, <laughs> anywhere around a professional esports player. The level of, um, you know, play is just so remarkably better than kind of the average or even the very good, you know, player. Um, and it's just mind blowing. Uh, so I, I am continue, continuously awed and inspired by, by our players. Yeah, absolutely. And one quick uh, analogy note for you is uh, my nine-year-old son is obsessed with Overwatch. He's Ooh. a level 160 right now. <laughs> and to this point is where I can't even keep up with him. So I feel I feel your pain. I feel your pain. So so he wants to be a, a, you know, a featured okay. pro gamer. So if you want to start the negotiations now, happy to do that prior to him turning 18. <laughs> Well, again, okay, thank you so care. much for day. joining us, uh, especially on this holiday, and uh, we'll talk to you soon.